Great afternoon. One more time. Victory Midtown. If y'all are excited to be in church this afternoon, make some noise. Make some noise. All over the room, make some noise. Well, I'm excited today. So glad everyone made it in the house today. Um, as Emily already said, today we are actually in week three of Future Church Part 2. Make sure we get that clear. In week three of Future Church Part 2. The reason I want to make that distinction is because about almost four years ago now, uh, we actually conducted this series called Future Church. And now a whole lot of things have changed, and we want to make sure that we are bringing things in relevance to what God is doing even now. And I'm excited about today because the last several weeks in this Future Church series, what we've been talking about is what does the church look like and what do we have to do to make sure that we are a relevant Future Church? And on the first week we talked about from Pastor Dennis, he mentioned about the Word of God being our foundation. He dug into it, letting us know that if we don't keep the foundation of the Word of God in our hearts and in our minds and make sure we know that that's important, what will happen is that we will steer away from the things that God has for us. And then on last week, I actually talked about the next generation church, the next generation church. And I kind of attempted to sing a part of this old song that might be familiar to you where it used to say, I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. And what I said last week is that, you know, that might be a song that a lot of us heard when we were growing up, but the reality is that particular song was prophesying into today because those children that they were talking about are now who we all are walking around in this earth. And as we're looking at these things, there's a lot of things that are happening as we take on what the future church looks like. And as I was preparing for this message today, I felt like today was going to be a very sober message, a very message that we're going to really just dig into. And even as I was sitting there a minute ago, I was saying to myself as the Lord was just kind of imparting in me and saying, there's some people even in this room that if we can grab what we're going to talk about today, we literally can change the world. Now, that's not just this cliche thing. That's just not something I say just to kind of get a reaction. It's something that I say because if we can really grab what God is doing, we literally have the opportunity to walk this thing out and be Christ in the earth. Now, as we're looking at this, if you have not heard any of those messages, I want to encourage you, go back and listen to it on the Victory Midtown podcast or by going to victorymidtown.com, not just because we want to get hits on it, but this is building foundationally line upon line. And what we want to do is we want to grab an understanding so we're not just operating in emotions. We want to grab an understanding so we take these values in and we grab it based on what God has for us. So my whole desire even today and for the next several weeks is for us to kind of cast vision of what the future church looks like. To cast vision of what we should be like, not just for this particular church, but for the Big C Church. So when we're walking through this, I want to let you know something. Last week, I made several statements about cultural shifts that have to happen in the church in order for us to be relevant and in order for us to be effective. One of the main ones that I said that so many people came up to me after service or they sent me a DM this week or sent me an email is the point where we said the church, in order to be effective in the next and an emerging generation, we have to shift from being a church that is based on religion, religion, and then those who actually are judging to love and humility. Again, we have to shift from being a church that is always focused on religion and judgment to being a church that's really based on love and humility. And as I'm thinking about this, I wanted to kind of use that particular cultural shift as a springboard even for today as we jump into the message. 
Because one of the main reasons why I believe that was something that really stood out to people is because that's the one that we need to walk in. The love for people is what we need to walk in. And I made this statement that many people stop coming to church because they've experienced the church. And many people stop digging into Christianity because they've experienced Christians. And so if we're going to be those who change the trajectory of what the church looks like in the future, what we have to do is we have to take on love as a verb. We have to make love an action word and not just something that we talk about, but that we be about. So as I walk through this, I want to just kind of let us know what we're talking about today is building a culture of valuing others. Building a culture of valuing others. Like I've already said, this is not going to be a rah-rah message. I don't intend to preach this message. I really want to teach this message. All day I've said that and I've ended up preaching this message. Kind of like a little fuse in between, a little teach and a little preach. So y'all just roll with me. We're going to take this journey as we walk this thing out. Now, as I was thinking about this message, preparing, I thought that it was ironic but also strategic by God that we would go through this message this weekend. As Emily said earlier, this is a long weekend, and the reason why it's a long weekend because tomorrow we celebrate the birth of Dr. Martin Luther King, his birthday, the late Dr. Martin Luther King. And if you realize that you know that his life story, one of his life messages was the I Have a Dream speech where he wanted to make sure he eradicated segregation and he really spoke about equality. But what you may or may not know is another one of his life messages, he actually preached about two months, actually right at two months right before he was assassinated. In this particular message, he preached it at his home church. He was with his people and he preached the message called the drum major instinct. The drum major instinct. I want you to write that down because this is something that I really encourage you to go listen to. I really encourage you as you're even taking your day tomorrow where you might have your feet kicked up, you might decide to go to a march, or you might just decide to be with family or what have you. Listen to this message. It's about 40 minutes, but it will really underpin and it will solidify a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about today. In that particular message, what Dr. King was saying is he said, we want to make sure that we're not those who are always trying to be the ones out front. The drum major instinct was this principle that everyone wants notoriety. The drum major instinct was this principle that everyone's trying to look at how I can be seen as important. But one of the great things that he said in that message was that we have to be as the church. Again, he had this message in a church. As the church, we have to be careful not to be those who embody snobbish, exclusivism. Snobbish exclusivism. What does that mean in layman's terms? It just means that we're looking down on people. That there's this classist system that we're thinking that I'm a big I and you're a little you. He was talking to the church and he started to tell them, listen, another thing that we have to be careful of is to not become a social club of elitists. Because what he was giving us a context for was even at that time, back in the 60s, there were churches that would actually herald as a badge of honor that we had doctors and lawyers and professionals in these particular congregations. And one of the great things he said was that you want that to be the case. Because yes, a doctor, a lawyer, an entertainer, an industry leader should be able to come to church too, but you shouldn't be looking at them as higher than someone that might not have that class in society. And if you think about it, not a whole lot has changed even today because some people are looking to actually make their mark by who they're associated with. 
But the reality is we have to be able to value everyone if we really want to reach everyone. And so many times what we've done is we will go after certain people thinking they can do something for us while dismissing someone who might look inconspicuous. And my desire today, as I cast vision again, is for us just to take ourselves to a higher level of consciousness in how we value others. I don't want this to be a church where people can come in and feel that there's this angst against you because I might not be like you. What I want is that anyone who comes to this church in any condition, that they can come in and say, I feel the love. I feel the culture of care. When I came into this place from the parking lot all the way up to the platform, someone showed me love. So as we're walking through this, I want to use this as something that we actually launch off into because it's not about the have and the have nots. It's about all of us having what God has for us. So lastly, on this last point, the crux of his message was that for centuries, people have been struggling to make make position bigger than humanity. For centuries, people have been saying, listen, I'm doing this, so you need to look up to me. And last night, I had the privilege of actually giving the invocation at the Salute to Greatness Awards, uh, which honor Dr. King every year. And in my invocation, one of the things that I said was that we need to be a people who are not looking to see how many people look up to us, but we need to be those who focus on how many people can I lay my life down for. And that's not just something that Dr. King wanted. That's something that we all should walk in if we value humanity. So this is what we're going to address today, and I want to use this scripture that he actually used in this sermon as a launching pad for us to start this message. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to or turn on to Mark chapter 10. Now, I've had the privilege of ministering this message. This will be my third time, but I'm going to ask you to help me minister it this time. Some of you, you might come from an old school church when you remember responsive reading. I'm going to give you your dose of responsive reading today. So what we're going to do, I have cues on the screen. I want you to start off in the first scripture. We're going to alternate for 10 verses. We're going to join together in the last one. But I need you to preach this like you're going to preach it. I need you to speak these scriptures like you say it with your chest, all right? So on three, I want you guys to start at then James, and then we'll flow together. One, two, three. Some of y'all are like, I'm going to read slow, I'm going to read fast. Everybody, we're going to read this together, all right, after this next verse. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. I love y'all. We don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink of or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? That's my turn. It's my turn. It's my turn. Y'all trying to take all my message from me. But to sit at my right or my left is not for you to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers and Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. 
And whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. Let's read this last one together. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. No matter how fast or how slow you wanted to read those scriptures, what the message is telling us right here is that Jesus was actually shifting a paradigm. He was shifting an understanding of for so many years, people were always looking to be the big eye and have little use. For so many times, people were looking to have their greatness measured by their position in society. But what he was telling them, he was giving them a wake-up call and saying, listen, it's no longer about your greatness in society. The way you actually equate greatness is by how much you are willing to serve. I love Dr. King's quote that he says, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. And as we're looking through this today, I believe if we really take this in, we will start to value others and say, listen, I can be great in my own right because I'm serving a whole lot of people. This is not an emotional message that we're preaching today. This is something that we grab as life experience and life tools for how God wants us to operate in his standard. Now, if we're going to be a church that's going to be relevant in the future, we have to make sure that the things that are going on in culture, we're actually able to speak to and know what's going on. And one of the things that is very consistent in culture that all of us deal with is a thing called finances. Now, you can relax your shoulders at this one o'clock service. This is not a tithing message. This is not an offering message, anything like that. But what I do want to let us know is that money affects all of us and a lot of times makes us to get in certain positions or take on certain mindsets when it comes to it. Why am I bringing that up? Because a lot of times if we don't take on actually what's the pulse of the culture, we will find ourselves irrelevant as a church, being in the world but not of the world, but being oblivious to what's going on. So what I want to do is I want to kind of just set the frame a little bit so that we are equipped to be able to talk about some things that are happening in culture, not to slant to one side or the other, but just to give information so that we can have a revelation of how to walk this thing out. Is that all right? So I want to give a little bit of an example. Oftentimes, different generations think about things in different ways. Last week, I talked about, just for the sake of context, I said the younger generation, we're going to cast you as the 35 and under. And the older generation, you're going to be qualified as the 36 and over. And some of you are like, I thought I was young until you said now the 37 are the older generation. Whatever you find yourself still, you can be young in your mind. But listen, there are different schools of thought based on the generations. And younger generations are struggling with certain things about the same problem, but looking at it in different ways. This thing about finances, if you think that this is true, I want you to say amen. If you're a younger generation, this is something that you deal with, you think about, or you struggle with, give me an amen after I say it, if it applies to you. As a younger generation, some of us are struggling with record student loan debt. Somebody say amen. I put my feet up, my arms up. What about an inability to get jobs to keep up with inflation because prices are rising too, too fast? Price is way too high. You need to cut it. What about those? Y'all didn't think I knew that. Struggling to afford housing to get on your feet. Everybody in the house said amen. The list can go on and on. But let me shift to the older generation, those 35 and older. You may be struggling with unaffordable health care. 
Amen. What about long-term care solutions for parents? What that is, a lot of times, if you don't know it, if you're younger, you're thinking people who are now getting older, they're having problems seeing how they're going to take care of their parents because their parents are aging who used to take care of them. This last one, they have retirement worries. Somebody here said, I'm 24 and I have retirement worries. I'm trying to figure this thing out. No matter where you find yourself on that spectrum, what happens is that finances really affect us all. And one of the big things that is, that is really prevalent right now is two main categories that people are kind of finding themselves with friction around. There's one category of socialism and another category of capitalism. Now, again, this is not a political message. Again, you can let your shoulders down. I just want to bring some stuff out to make sure that we have some awareness. In a nutshell, socialism is an economic and political system under which the means of production are publicly owned. Production and consumer prices are controlled by the government to best meet the needs of the people from their perspective. Now, when you look at capitalism, it's an economic system under which the means of production are privately owned. Production and consumer prices are based on a free market system of supply and demand. So I don't know where you might find yourself again, but I want to kind of break this down even a little further. The big idea of socialism, which again is something that is very prevalent in our society right now as far as a school of thought that people want to be with. It says this, that redistribution of wealth from the haves to the have-nots, not allowing the wealthy to control the plight of the poor. The challenge with socialism, though, is that it has never been proven to actually be something that allows us to have a great economic policy, which ends up working. Sometimes it starts off well, it's been good, and then sooner or later, people start losing motivation to actually go after things and actually do something for themselves. Now, on the other side, the big idea of capitalism is that people are better with handling money than the government. And with lower taxation and more opportunity and freedom to create, the economy grows for everyone, giving everyone an opportunity for financial dignity. So some of you go-getters, the grinders, y'all are like, I'm down for that. You know, if you don't do the work, you don't get anything. But here's the challenge with capitalism. It can feed greed and create imbalance unless it is balanced by community-like attitudes and value-based living. There's a balance to these things. Each of these sides actually have positives and they have their challenges. So when it comes to how the church will navigate societal and cultural shifts, what we have to do is we have to come back to this question. Who and what am I going to actually believe in and depend on? Am I going to believe on the government to actually fulfill my needs or am I going to believe in myself to fulfill my needs? So to take this another step further, here's the thing. I'm going to break this down real quick. Socialism says that government is source, while capitalism says that self is source. But let's raise our standard. The kingdom of God says that God is the source. Come on, can you say that one more time? Capitalism is some, socialism says that government is source. Capitalism says that self is the source. But what does the kingdom say? And that is the higher authority that we have to walk in. Things can look good. There will be ins and outs about different things. But what we have to know is that we're not here to go with the societal shifts of the world. 
We're here to be the standard that God has for us so that we can walk this thing out and have his backing in the earth. Now, I want you to listen to this, and then I want you to write down the cliff notes of this next statement that I'm going to say, because it's very important. Here it is. When we understand that God is our source, this will drive us to please him. And in pleasing him, this will drive us to value others. And when we value others, that will drive us to help others. I don't know what you have to write in shorthand or whatever. It's not in your notes, but I want you to hear that one more time. When we understand that God is our source, this will drive us to please him. And when we please him, this drives us to value others. And when we value others, this drives us to be intentional about helping others. As we're walking through this, everything that I just stated about socialism and capitalism, all these different things, is wrapped up in this next passage based on the way that God wants us to have our mentality shifted. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 from the message paraphrase, it says it like this. If you've gotten anything out of all of, out of, anything at all out of following Christ, if, you, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. But put yourself aside and help who? Help yourself? Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. The reality is in this society where everything is about us, this actually can seem like a foreign concept. You mean you actually want me to put my, my livelihood to the side so that I can help somebody else? What we understand is that the kingdom is counterintuitive. God tells us in order to go high, you have to get low. In order to, to receive, you first have to give. You have to sow friendship if you want friendship back. But what we do a lot of times in life, we're like, I don't care what that says, I'm going to be out for myself. But again, we're talking about a value shift. We're not talking about just doing what the world says. So here's the thing. If we value, if we would actually value the condition of people around us, how we value the condition of how we actually want to hold our guard on financial situations, we would learn to actually value people and we can literally shift the culture. But so many of us, again, as the Bible says, where your heart is, your treasure will be also. Money is where our hearts are a lot of times. So that's how we actually decide what we will do and won't do. But what we're here to talk about today is that valuing others is actually far more greater than anything you can value that can actually come through your hands. So here's what I want to do. I want to just break down a few things before we get out of here today. How do we establish a culture of valuing others? How do we establish that culture of value others? Number one, we must understand why we prosper. We must understand why we prosper. Here it is. Write this statement down. It's so simple, but it's so profound that we look over it. The statement is that God is our source and our provider. Write that down. You might not even feel like you need to write it down, but I'm going to tell you a short pencil is better than a long memory. God is our source and our provider. 
And the reason why we can't agree on government solutions to be our answers to our problem is because government has never been the answer. God is the answer. And this is not a trick question, but I want you by a show of hands, who in here believes that God wants you to prosper? Some of y'all are like, I, don't, I, I know I should. Yeah, it's okay. God wants you to prosper. But the thing is, this is not some self-help gospel where we're talking about, I want to prosper just so I can have a better car. I want to prosper so I can have a better house, so I can flex, so I can floss, so I can look like I'm the person. God is saying, I want you to prosper because I want you to be able to fulfill my mandate in your life. I want you to prosper because I want to be able to bring some resources to you to affect the world around you. So as we're looking at this, we want to understand there's a reason that God has for us to prosper, but we also have to guard against some things even as we begin to prosper. Here's a scripture that gives us some instruction that lays down what happens with humanity so many times. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 through 14. Hear very carefully the words that are being used in this scripture. It says this, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes when I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and when your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land from this house of bondage. That whole verse right there is basically just saying, I want to bless you. I want to do some things for you, but don't forget me in the midst of it. There's things that I want to give to you, but can I give that to you and you still remember that I'm your source? Drop down to verse 17. Here it is. It says, then you will say in your heart, if you're not careful, that my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Some translations say it is he who gives you the ability to create wealth, to actually do some things with the resources that I gave you to bring wealth into the earth. It continues to say that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. What is that covenant? That covenant is to protect you. That covenant is to bless you. That covenant is to make sure you know that God has your back. But here's the thing. If you're honest in here, how many people can say there's been something that you've prayed for for a long time? You say, Lord, I might have been unemployed for several weeks, several months. God, I need this job. Then when you get that job, it's hard to pay tithes off that money that you just got. Amen. You may be saying, Lord, bring me this job. I need to get back connected. But then when he gives you that job and they say, I need you to work on Sunday, you don't even bat an eye. And what he's saying is that, will you make me your priority? Can I bless you and you still remember me? I give you three services at Victory Midtown to make, 9, 11, and 1. Will you still make sure you make me a priority even when things get a little comfortable, or are you only coming after me when it's a little tight? And the reality is sometimes we go off of our emotions. We go off after how we are felt in the moment, and God is saying, I don't want you to be a circumstantial Christian. I want you to be someone who's committed because you know that I am your source. Come somebody say amen to that. So as we're looking at this, I want to just give us a couple quick scriptures that give us a warning against that type of mentality. Real quickly, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, it says this. Then Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. 
Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. What you have does not make you. Just like what you don't have does not make you. But what we will do, we will accumulate things, and God is saying, don't get caught up. Because as quickly as I brought it to you, I can take it away. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. I want to pause right there. I've said this all day. If you look around the news, if you think about even right here in Atlanta, there's a crime epidemic happening. There are people who, especially like in Midtown, in Buckhead, who are actually targeting people based on what they think they have because they actually want to take for themselves. And what we do is that we try to load up on treasures that can be taken in a moment. And God is saying, I don't want you to load up on things that can be taken. I want you to load up on things that actually have an eternal purpose. I want you to be able to stand on your own whether you have that or you don't have that. Because when people see you, they're not going to be asking, what kind of clothes are you wearing? What label are you wearing? What kind of car you have? They're going to come to you and ask, can you help me? Can you speak life into me? Can you value me? Can you give me that tool that God gave you to minister in my life? Amen. That scripture goes on to say, it says, again, don't, be, don't hoard up for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourselves that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay, or lose its value. Here's that famous part of that scripture. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. My question to you, and you might want to even write this down. What are you valuing as your treasure? Are you valuing substance, material things over people? This is not for me. This is for your own, for your own good. Being honest with yourself right now, saying, am I valuing people over substance? Or am I so busy trying to get status that I overlook the people that I'm supposed to be blessing on the way? This is not a money question. This is a value question. And we value others as much as we actually value ourselves. So I'm not sitting here saying that we should not be concerned with having resources because there's a blessing that comes with getting resources. What I'm saying is we want to make sure that the resources don't have us. And too many times when God starts to bless us, that very thing that used to be a blessing starts to become a curse. That very thing that he wants to use to bring us closer to him and to help somebody else is that thing that creates a stark divide. So as we're looking at this, here's how the early church dealt with the, the separation between the rich and the poor. In Acts, chapter 20, in Acts chapter 2, it says this in verse 44, and this is how we should operate. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What this simply means, you can write this down, God prospers us individually for the good of all collectively. God prospers us individually for the good of all collectively. Which leads us to number two, that we must develop a generous heart. See, I'm not just telling you things that we want to just do stuff because it's an obligation. We want to let our resources be an outflow of what we believe on the inside of us. And if we believe this, what we will understand is that just like Jesus is, the qualities that Jesus embodied, we can embody those same qualities. 
One of my favorite scriptures, 1 John chapter 4, write this down. It says this, by living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us. Somebody say in us. In us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment. Here's the part that I love. Because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. All that Jesus is, the healer, the sustainer, the compassionate one, the one who can speak those things into existence, is actually in you. But here's the thing, it doesn't stop there. It's not just to be in you so that you can be this grand person. It's in you so that someone else can receive the benefits from it. So we have to be open to this thing to understand that, write this down, generosity is not just about money. Generosity is a mindset. Valuing others is a mindset that we have to intentionally bear ourselves up to say, I'm going to decide that I'm going to value others. I'm going to slow down enough that even when it's not convenient, I'm going to value others just like Jesus would do when he was on his way to heal somebody. Somebody else would come up. He didn't say, no, I'm on my way to Zacchaeus' house. He will stop and say, I can heal you because your faith has made you whole. There are going to be some people. This is just what God is saying to me even right now. There are going to be some people in these next three days that are going to cross your path that you're going to be reminded by the sound of my voice that you need to just slow down. You just need to slow down and take a moment and touch them and say, such as I have, I give unto you. There are going to be some people that come and cross your path at work, online. You might be an internet influencer that you're going to be able to sit down where you used to wouldn't look at a DM in this fashion, but you will stop when someone's asking you a question and you will pour into them. Valuing others is never convenient. That's a nugget for somebody. Valuing others is never convenient, but it's always the right time. It's always the right time. So as we're looking at this, again, and we understand that generosity is a mindset, let me read this scripture to you because here's the thing of how we all come together to match with each other to do what God has called us to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm giving you a lot of scripture today again because I don't want this to be something that's just emotional. I'm literally wanting to make sure we change a culture by first valuing others. Verse 12, it says this, if the intention and desire are there, The size of the gift doesn't matter. Your gift is fully acceptable to God according to what you have, not what you don't have. I'm not saying this in order to ease someone else's load by overloading you. But as a matter of fair balance, your surplus could meet their need. And their abundance may one day meet your need. This equal sharing of abundance will mean a fair balance. Everyone in the room right now, I want you to do something for me. If you're sitting next to anyone, and, and I don't want you to be by yourself, you're not sitting, some, sitting by somebody, get next to somebody. Get next to someone and then lock arms with them. Lock arms with them. Notice I didn't say touch their hands. I know it's flu season. But lock arms with somebody. Lock arms with somebody. For some of y'all, this is super uncomfortable. Just bear with me. Just pull a little bit real quick. What I'm trying to show you is that when we actually pull one with another, what we're doing is that we're actually depending on somebody else's strength. What you're doing, come on, keep going with me, keep going with me. 
What you're doing right now is you're sensing that even right now, one of your arms could be getting tired, but the strength of the person next to you actually bears that up. And what I'm trying to illustrate right now is that we are not made to live a life where we're doing it by ourselves. We are not made to live a life where we're just going and us four and no more. We're made to live a life that when I'm tired, when I'm in a deficit, when I have a need, I'm connected enough with the body of Christ that somebody else feels me before I can even say it. I'm connected enough with the body of Christ that even before I say I have need, because that person knows me, because they're sensing me, I now can actually lean on that other person. Let me tell you, I'm going to break it down one more time. Let me get y'all three, come up here with me real quick. I know y'all didn't come to church for this, but line up right here in front of me. Keep them arms. Y'all don't let go on me. Come on, we're connected. We're connected. Here's a principle. A generous church is what actually solves gaps in the body of Christ. A generous church is what allows us to make sure that no one is left behind. See, when they're right here together, even when one of them have need, they're not going to go down because all of them are like a chain. That if one goes down, the other one kind of bears them up. But what happens many times is one person kind of comes out and there's a gap. Come on, come on, come on. There's a gap right here. And this gap allows the devil to get in. This gap allows certain things that are bad to get in. This gap allows depression to get in. This gap allows when resources should be there, it allows you not to fall down thinking there's no hope because there's no more connection. Versus when we're together, the devil has nowhere to get in. When he thinks he has you by himself, now your friend can pull up and say, no, I got this. When the devil thinks that you're out there by yourself and you're a lone ranger and you're an easy target, no, you're able to say, no, my family is with me. So what I'm here to say today is that a generous church keeps the gaps together. How many of you guys want to keep the gap together for your brother and sister? Give God praise and give them a hand. Thank you so much. So as we understand why we prosper and show value for others through a generous heart, our society around us, they won't just look at people and say, oh, that's the church over there. They will actually see the impact of the church. But we first have to take that on and walk it out. And this is why we do things like Christmas gift to the world. This is why we do things like heart of the house. Because we don't want to be those who have and then somebody else doesn't have when we have the ability to step in on their behalf. Like we talked about that mission trip years ago when those young girls were actually being ravaged with sex trafficking. We said we're not going to let that happen. We're going to put our money where our mouth is and actually go and create a home of safety. It might not be a home for you, but it might just be you giving someone an encouraging word and saying, I'm going to be here for you. So as we're walking through this, we understand this principle that Dr. John Maxwell says a lot of times, because a lot of times we want people to kind of know what's going on with us. But here's the thing. He says this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And my question to us again, as we take it in for ourselves, is write it down. How many people know that I actually care? Am I guilty of caring too much? Or am I guilty of being someone who doesn't care at all? 
God wants us to take on the burdens of our brothers, to close that gap for our sisters, to make sure that when somebody feels like they're falling down, that you say there is hope because I'm with you. That leads me to number three. We must demonstrate our value for others through becoming an answer. We must demonstrate our value for others by becoming an answer. This is near and dear to my heart because this has actually been one of my life messages. I wrote a book in 2015 called Be the Answer. And that whole book is actually talking about servant leadership and the understanding that behind every problem, there's a promise. And that God wants somebody to be an answer to that problem. And you'll be able to reap the benefits of answering that problem if you can stick through it. But the challenge is some of us are always looking at somebody else to be the answer when God told us to be the answer. Have you ever been sitting around and you see something on TV and then you're looking at it and it's like, okay, it's this invention. And you're like, I thought about that two years ago. <laughs> Somebody made billions of dollars because you didn't become the answer to the problem. And just like in the body of Christ, there are answers to problems that you're supposed to embody, that we're supposed to embody. But so many times we say, oh, they have it. That's for the church staff. That's for the people who are, you know, have gone to seminary. That's for the people who go to ministry school. And I'm going to tell you, this is ministry school right here. We're supposed to come in together to be equipped for the work of the ministry. God wants you to understand that there are things. Y'all have heard me say this a thousand times, especially over the last few weeks. There are things that you can do that I cannot do. There are passions. There are answers on the inside of you that if you would stir up that gift on the inside of you, you don't know that you're not only going to help people, but it can also make you money. So what God wants us to know is that if we're going to be an answer to a problem, we have to step out and take action. Here's the thing. This is the embodiment of this in this scripture. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. It says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If someone else has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let's show the truth by our actions. See, one thing I love about our church, Victory for years has been a leader in taking action. Years ago, when there was a lot of crisis with people not having health coverage and have, having an ability to receive health care, Victory said, listen, Pastor Dennis, he was like, I'm not going to allow the people in our church and the people in our community not to be served. So he said, let's get all the doctors and the people who have this ability in the church to come together, volunteer their time, and open up a center where we actually can see people. Where now about 500 people a week are seen, even if they don't have health care coverage, because he was an answer to a problem. It's all right to clap about that. When we talked about sex trafficking on our property at Norcross, we house an organization that looks to eradicate human sex trafficking here in Atlanta. Prison ministry, it might be something that hasn't even been done yet that you're saying, I have a burning passion on the inside of me that I know I have to get out. That I can't rest, that you've actually kind of put dust on it because you didn't believe you can do it. I want to tell you a newsflash. You can do it. And God is waiting on you, and some people are waiting on for you to do it. 
So as we're looking at this, here's the thing. We say this all the time. It's not enough to come to church. We have to be the church. It's not enough to come in these four walls and get filled up. We have to be able to get filled up so that we can go pour out. So as we're looking and talking about valuing others and as we're looking about how we actually embody this message, we have to be very sober about it and take it in and then take action. So as I'm closing this message, I wanted to invite somebody to kind of give me a third-party validation to this message that I was speaking today. I want to invite somebody to speak something into us just for about two minutes and 25 seconds to let us know, listen, what I am saying is that you have an opportunity to leave a mark on the earth. So for the next two minutes and 25 seconds, I want you to listen to this person that I'm inviting. And I want you to hear the words with your heart and your mind as we take on how can I embody, how can I become an answer, how can I become a solution Let's hear from that person right now. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the wall question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to call those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major. Say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to leave a committed life behind. And that's all I want to say. If I can help somebody... As I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word of song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a Christian, if I can bring salvation to a world once wrought, if I can spread the message as the Master taught, then my living will not be in vain. Yes, Jesus, I want to be on your right or your left side. Not for any selfish reason. I want to be on your right or your left side. Not in terms of some political kingdom or ambition. But I just want to be there in love and in justice and in truth. And in commitment to others so that we can make of this old world a new world. Mm. Did you hear his passion? Did you hear his commitment to making sure that he died empty? There are different schools of thought that said maybe he knew what was coming. Maybe he knew that he wouldn't be on the earth too much longer. But two months before he was assassinated, he said, I want to leave a mark in the earth that when people talk about me, they'll be able to say that I gave my life serving others.
I love that last line of what he said when he said, listen, maybe we can make this old world into a new world. Future Church, we have an opportunity to make an old world into a new world that we actually impact and actually settle into what God has for us to value others and make a difference. I gave you several examples about things that we've done as a church, but you may be saying, well, you know, I don't have the resources to start a new health care center. But you have resources to actually be that one-on-one connection with somebody who needs some encouragement. You may be saying, I don't know if I can actually build a home for human sex trafficking. But what you can do is you can volunteer in the children's ministry. A call even to the men in the house. One of the greatest things that I have been able to do in the last several years when we first joined Victory at Norcross Campus, my wife and I, we would serve every other week in Vic Kids. And I would get excited about it because as a man, what I realized is being in there had so many implications farther than what I even thought. Because what was happening is when I was walking in, a lot of these kids, these boys and girls had never even seen a man in weeks or months, let alone a godly influence of a man. So I just want to plant that in your spirit today because whether it's big kids, whether it's you ushering or being a greeter, you might have to start small by doing it in the four walls to start conditioning yourself to do it outside the four walls. And what we want to do, we want to make sure we understand that all of us have a responsibility. All of us have an opportunity to be the answer. All of us have an opportunity to embody a solution that God has for us. So what I asked Rayon to do for a moment, I asked him just to sing a tune that puts us in a mindset of understanding that we have to answer the call and say yes. And he's going to sing this just for a moment. But as he's singing this, I don't want this just to be a song that's being sung from the platform. I want this to be a declaration that we're saying, Lord, I'm going to try you. I'm going to accept as you're stirring things up in my life that I'm going to say yes to valuing others. I'm going to say yes to something that may be stirring up in me that I've allowed to be dormant, that I want to live again. So for the next few moments, can you just lift your hands in the air for me? You're not doing it for me. I'm just sending a sign to your psyche. I'm sending a sign to your body, to your mind and your spirit. As you raise your hands, I want you to turn them upward as you're receiving something right now. Because I believe in these next few minutes, God is going to give you a download of where you can be of value to other people. I believe God's going to give you a download of who you are to be an answer to, where you are to be an answer to. So as we say yes right now, start to ask God, what is it that you want me to do? Where is it that you want me to serve? How is it that you want me to give? Is it heart of the house? Is it here in the house? Let's worship.
make that an act of your will. Sing that with them. Sing that with them. We want to see your glory. want to see your glory. We want to see you. We want to see you. put it on your stomach for me. The Bible says that we are to stir up those gifts on the inside of us by the laying on of hands. So Father, right now, I thank you that every person on the sound of my voice, there's a stirring happening in their spirit. Father, I thank you right now that there are some things that have been dormant in their lives that they know that they should be walking in. That Father, you have uniquely created them to do, but there's been fear that has been holding them down. God, I thank you as I'm speaking right now. I'm looking over a congregation of believers who walk in the strength of who you've made them to be. Father, I see prophets. I see evangelists. I see business leaders. I see influencers. I see doctors. I see professors, God. Father, I see people right now who are dusting off the dust off those old dreams. And God, I thank you right now that right here at Victory Midtown, a new birth of those dreams are coming in play right now. God, I thank you right now that old things are passed away and all things have become new. I come against the spirit of disappointment. I come against the spirit of offense. I come against the spirit of fear right now. 
Father, I come against, Lord God, those people who have told them no before, but you have told us yes. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, allow us to know that you've called us for such a time as this, that you have us in the right place at the right time. God, we thank you, and we accept the call, and we say yes. Say that one more time. Father, with this sweet spirit in here, we accept your call. I declare that this room is full of world changers. I declare that this room is full of influencers for the kingdom of God. I declare that witty ideas will start to be even stirred up in the next several days. That, Father, even tomorrow we will understand with clarity that which you have called us to do. So, Father, let this be the beginning of something new in the lives of your hearers today that we be the church and not be satisfied with just going to church. We love you, God. We bless you. And I thank you to everyone in the sound of my voice. We shall live and not die to declare the mighty work of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, we say amen, amen, and amen. Somebody give God praise if you have a yes in your spirit this afternoon. Come on, you can do better than that. Give God praise if you have a yes in your spirit this afternoon. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's high and lifted up. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He's created you to be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my strength and my shield. Who shall I fear? We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And I love you, Victory.